Now, several years ago, uh, the country suffered uh, a terrible terrorist attack. Uh, you may remember it at, outside the Houses of Parliament, uh, where four people died and uh, 50 people uh, were injured uh, that day. And one of the victims of that attack was an American tourist, uh, Kate Cochrane. Um, Kate had been with his wife, Melissa, um, on their final day, in, on their holiday in Europe. Uh, this actually was their first trip to Europe, and they decided to come here to celebrate uh, their 25th wedding anniversary. First trip to Europe, quarter of a century marriage, and they wanted to celebrate that. And Kurt died from that terror attack. Melissa had arrived in London with Kurt, full of happiness, and a sense of first-time adventure. But she left London with shock and pain beyond words. As I think about Melissa and Kate's story, uh, it reminds me always that suffering is always unannounced. It has a way of intruding on our lives when we actually least expect it. It is our constant and uninvited companion, the unfriendly shadow of life. And so, therefore, as a church, we always need to spend time reflecting on suffering. Uh, even when we're not going through particular heavy suffering ourselves, it's good as a church and as individuals that we keep suffering constantly on our mind, actually. And we should not just skip it because we want to be sort of, uh, more, you know, sad about it, but we should be thinking about suffering and thinking carefully all the time about how we should respond to it. Because we just never know when you are hit by suffering. And in fact, I usually say that everyone is in three areas. You are either entering suffering or in suffering or coming out of suffering. So if you're not suffering at the moment, you're about to enter it. That's a fact. That's a fact of life. And so as a church, we need to be always reflecting on suffering. Randy Halcon says this, any faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be abandoned. Any faith that leaves us unprepared for suffering is a false faith that deserves to be abandoned. The Bible deals with real issues that affect us. It is our manual for life, like I said last week week. And when it comes to suffering, there's no better place, I think, I go to than Psalm 44. Now, we do not know the situation that prompted um, this psalm to be written, uh, what the people of God were going through to write Psalm 44. It's, it's very difficult to place it, actually. But we know two things as we read this psalm, which we read together. Two important things. The first thing is that the people of God in this psalm are suffering. Heavily. They are suffering heavily. And the second thing we know is that they are still trusting in the love of God. Are you suffering this morning? Heavily. I think this psalm is for you. Are you suffering lightly? I think this psalm is still for you. Are you not suffering? Know this psalm. Because you are about to enter into suffering. 
And so this psalm is important for those two things. And as I thought about this psalm, I think the key truth this psalm is teaching us is simply this. And it's there in your outline there, the key truth really of the psalm, which is that we must trust the love of God for his people when we are suffering. What should we do when we are suffering? We must trust the love of God for his people. I want us to learn this truth, to be reminded of this truth. And I want us to learn it under four lessons which are there in your outline. We're just going to uh, really walk through this psalm in some sense. Uh, it's a long psalm, um, but just give us a sense of what the psalmist is saying. The first truth this psalm teaches us is this, the first lesson. All people of God suffer. All people of God suffer. And it seems like what I'm saying is an obvious truth, but there are people who treat, teach the opposite. That's what people who think if you, you, you just claim the right thing, do, you know, attend the right services and all that, give the right tithes and everything, you won't suffer. No, all people of God suffer. That's the first truth this psalm says to us. The people of God here begin by reminding God of their wonderful history together. Do you see that in verse 1 to 3? Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what did you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out the nations. But then you planted, you afflicted the peoples, but then you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm serve them. By your right hand and your hand and in the light of your face, for you delighted in them. What a fantastic relationship these people have had with God. God has not only saved them from their enemies. Did you notice? He, he loves and delights in them as his people. Don't miss out the three ends. And the light of your face. And the light of your face. For you delighted in them. When they think of the Lord God, uh, they see him first and foremost as their warrior king who has fought for them through life, who has won battles for them. And we can think of many battles that God waged on behalf of Israel. But more than that, they think of God as their loving Father that delights in them. And we should note in passing that this is what it means to have a true relationship with God. A Christian is not simply a person who can say, God is my king. A Christian is a person who can say, God delights in me, he's my father. Not simply kingship and his sovereign rule, but a personal relationship with God. Someone who says, God knows me and I know him as my loving and intimate savior. Do you know God this morning as your father? Can you say with the psalmist, the light of your face for you delighted in me? Well, if you have true faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know the one true God. And God delights in you as his great child. He has lavished great love on you. Matthew Henry says this, The great God not only loves his saints, he also loves to love them. Did you hear that? The great God not only loves his saints, he also loves to love them. That means God delights in them. God not only loves you in Christ, he loves to love you. Are you thankful that God loves you and he loves to love you this morning? Are you filled with gratitude as you hear that? 
to know that our God sings and dances over you as we've been reading in Zephaniah. Well, the people of God in Psalm 44 are thankful to God. They are thankful to have this God in their lives. No matter what's going on, they are thankful for this God. And because they are thankful for this God, they are are longing to experience more and more of the saving power of God. Let's read on verse 4 to verse 8. You are my God, verse 4 says. You are my king, rather. It says, oh God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you, we push down our foes. Through your name, we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword serve me. Who are you trusting this morning? Who are you trusting this morning? The psalmist says, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword serve me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we are boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Sarah. That's their relationship. Thankful to God. Trusting in God. But even as we read of their remarkable life with God and their unwavering trust in God, we are sensing already that this does not mean their world is perfect. Verse 4 has given us the hint that things aren't quite as they would desire them to be. Because notice there's just a little prayer there in verse 4. When they say, you are my king, O God. And then they pray, ordain salvation for Jacob. They want to see it again. Right? There is a hint there that they are longing for God to do more for them. What help do they want from God? Well, we have the answer now as the mood changes. Did you notice the change of the mood? Let's look at verse 9 to 12. The mood of the psalm shifts. It's a remarkable psalm. All of a sudden it shifts. But you have rejected us. They're talking to God. And disgraced us. And have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the fall. They believe in the sovereignty of God, you see. You have made us stand back from the fall. And, and those who hate us have taken spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You, the Lord, you have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. That's 9 to 12. Notice verse 15. Chapter verse 15. All day long my disgrace is before me. Shame has covered my face. Many of us who have suffered deeply, we have those moments, don't we, when we feel shame has covered our face. Look at verse 19 there. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. Look at verse 25. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. You know, we can spend time and I encourage you to pour over these verses. But here's the thing. These people belong to God. We've established that. They have a remarkable relationship with God. And yet they are suffering terribly. Don't miss that. 
And that is because all people of God suffer. All people of God suffer. It seems that our God meets us in the middle of pain, not far away from it. And we are being reminded here, therefore, that sharing life with God in Christ does not stop suffering. And I think we need to keep reminding ourselves of this important lesson. We must keep saying it, isn't it? All people of God suffer. We must remind our friends that. We must remind our spouses that. We must remind colleagues at work. We must remind our parents that. All people of God suffer. Why do we need to keep reminding ourselves of that? Why do you need to hear it this morning? Even though you know it. Well, because even though you've heard it today, as soon as trouble starts on Tuesday... You go into a tailspin. You forget Psalm 44. You'll be like, God, are you still here for me? That's how it will be like on Tuesday. We've all been there. You know, I remember when my late mother had her leg amputated some years ago before she died. I really, I was a pastor here at this church actually when that happened. I really struggled with my suffering. It was hard. I know maybe you couldn't see it for those of you who are here, but I really struggled. I just could not get it out of my head. My mother lived a very, very holy life. Yeah. I mean, she prayed for me, even my wandering days, for me to return to the Lord. I owe everything I have, humanly speaking, to my mother. And I couldn't get it out of my head. How can God take away a leg at 72 years of age? When she loves him so dearly, it made no sense to me. It just made no sense to me. You see, my suffering, I had forgotten the first lesson of this psalm. All people of God suffer. Whether new or older Christians, all people of God suffer. And my experience now as a pastor reminds me that God seems especially to reserve the deepest arrows for those who are so close to him. It makes sense to me now. Because of course I look at Christ, the deepest arrows ever thrown at anyone was on the sinless son of God. It seems the more you get closer to God, the deeper your suffering gets. We can go into it why that might be the case, but The key point I want to make to you, just reminding you that all people of God suffer. And so because of that, memorize verse 25. If you're going to memorize any verses here, memorize verse 25 from this passage. I know it's not the one you're going to go to. You probably want to go for one. You want to go for for, for even verse 26. There's some good verses here, right? Wonderful verses. And Paul didn't quote verse 25 either. He quoted something else. He quoted verse 22. But memorize verse 25. Which says, for our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Being a true follower of Christ sometimes means being covered with shame and eating dirt like a snake on the ground. I wonder, beloved, are you feeling like that this morning? Are you reading this and saying to me, that is me. I am bowed down to the dust. 
where the encouragement of this psalm is that what you are experiencing is perfectly normal. It is because God delights in you. That's why he lets the arrows come near you. All people of God, people God delights in, suffer. The psalmist is teaching us. So what you're experiencing is perfectly normal. This is the reality of following Jesus. Now, if that is true, if all people of God suffer, and it is true, why does it matter then? Why does it matter? Well, it matters, and the reason it's in this psalm is, 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 is that our suffering really hurts. All people of God suffer, and God has written it in here for us to acknowledge that our suffering really hurts. And that's the second truth we learn here. It's so important we understand that the people of God here are not just saying we are suffering. They are saying to God, we are not robots. We are really hurting here. And look at the emotions there in verse 9 to 12. Did you pick them up? You have rejected us. You have disgraced us. You have turned us back from the fall. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have sowed your people. There's a feeling of rejection here. There's a feeling of disgrace. A feeling of abandonment. There's even a feeling of worthlessness before God. Did you pick that up in verse 12? You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. They're saying, we feel like we don't matter to you. Like we don't matter to you. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Are you feeling like that this morning? Do you feel like your life is not worth living anymore? You feel so lonely. And that no one really understands your pain. A few years ago, I, I used to be on, uh, I don't do this now, but I had a bit more time. I used to be on Reddit. You know Reddit, the website? And there was a Christian group in there, you know, reformed group, you know. You answer questions, I used to get excited about those things. I should still be excited, of course, but you know what I mean. It was there on Reddit and there this reformed group and uh, people would get, in, get on there and they they're all reformed people there, and, you know, so a bit of uh, um, echo chambers, if you like. And we're in there, and then somebody shared something there in that group. Because people could share things, their church situation. And some guy shared there, he said this, look, I live in pain every day, he said. It has been like this for many years. It is a real struggle to leave my house. I feel deeply lonely. My life feels like a failure. I know I am saved, but at the same time, when I reach out to God, I feel he is not there for me. I know God is real. And then he said this, but for someone who says he loves me, he does not seem to care at all. There was a depth of pain there. Unburdened. And you may think that sounds a bit sacrilegious, what he said. But in some way, it sounds a bit like verse 12. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. It's a bit of a lament there 
was giving. You may question the forum for the lament, but there was that. It was in effect saying to God, you say you love me, but I just don't feel it. The depth of pain that the people of God feel here in this psalm uh, is being compounded by, by that emotional and physical abuse from people around them, by the way. That's the issue. It isn't simply that they feel God is distant. It is that they are being victims now of other people. Look at verse 13 to 16 there. That's the issue. Other people are not helping. They are compounding the situation. You have made us a taunt of our neighbors. The derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. They laugh at us. We're a laughing stock. And all day long I feel my, my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunt and revile, at the sight of the enemy and the event. You may want to ask, does, do believers feel like this? Yeah. They do. I remember when I was at work once, when I used to work in government, I was discussing this very psalm with a friend. And we stopped precisely at verse 15. He said, Chola, this is how I feel. All day long, my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. Now, to be clear, the suffering in this psalm is probably because of some national military defeat they have suffered, the people of God, in this psalm. So in some sense, we should be clear, as we are reading the word of God, understanding it properly, we should be clear that in some sense this suffering is different from the suffering we face. Every day. Your suffering may be due to some fractured relationship at work or at home. Or maybe a moral failure in your life. Some addiction that you can't shake off. Maybe sickness. Or maybe you're just living in a broken world and you feel like a victim. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Could be anything. But make no mistake, the cause of suffering may be different, but your pain is just as real as the people of God in Psalm 44. Therefore, you and I, as we sit here this morning, we must learn from them to be open about our pain. If we take away anything from this psalm, is that they are being open about their pain before God and his people. And I think this is the part many of us find difficult. We do not like sharing our deepest tears. We prefer to suffer in isolation. And usually what we do actually is that we stop coming to church. And of course some of us choose to escape by television and social media and other things. But beloved, this is not the way to deal with pain in our lives. This psalm is saying to us, learn to be open about your pain before God and his people. That's what Psalm 44 is saying. So that's on the side of yourself, as it were, learn to be open about the pain in your life to us. But as a church, we also have a responsibility. Because we know you opening up pain to us is, is huge. So what must we do as a church? We must be a church that encourages you to share that pain, right? We must labor to build a culture of grace in the church where we share our deepest struggles. Brother Robert has been trying to encourage us, especially so that we share our, our, our struggles with one another and that we do not suffer in isolation. Because you see, in many churches, in many churches, there is no place for pain. You know, what happens is that those who struggle, what happens in churches is, is that, in many churches, is that those people who have great testimonies, right, 
about how God has healed them perhaps. What happens is they grab the mic, right? While those who are suffering are just ushered at the back, aren't they? To the back door. I don't see that happens literally, but you can, in some churches it do, right? But, but usually that's what goes on in church. God has given me a job, we share. My marriage is struggling, we don't. What's happening there is that the church has a culture whereby successes are celebrated, pain is pushed at the back. And we shouldn't be like that. Because our God is a God who weeps in Jesus. God in Christ has entered this world of pain and is wept with those who weep. And our God is inviting us to enter with him into Gethsemane to share his tears for those who are sitting next to us and people who are outside these walls. In Jesus we serve a God who weeps. You know, as you sit here this morning, in here, right now, Someone is probably having a strain in their family or some work relationship and they need us to share their tears before God with them. Someone probably you're sitting next to is probably struggling with sexual temptation at work and they need us to cry out to God for mercy so they can stand strong in the power of the Lord and his mind. Someone here is probably struggling with an addiction that they can't just talk about. Pornography could be anything that is tearing them apart. And they need us to plead together to God for mercy for them. The sin has made it impossible for them to function in the life of the church. And they need us to cry out to God with them. Someone probably a desperate needs healing for themselves or their loved ones. And they need us to cry to God together for that healing. There's probably someone here wondering if they'll ever get married. And they want you to cry with them to God. How long, oh Lord, how long? That's the church. That's the church. Grace Baptist Church, basically, it must become a weeping church. But we can only become a weeping church, a church that weeps for one another when we accept that suffering really hurts. We accept the first point, all people of God suffer and suffering really hurts. And then we begin to share our pain with each other. Because right now you're thinking, Chola's life is okay, so why should I share my problem with him? <laughs> I just got to bother him because he's got, he's alright, he doesn't want to be sad. But that's the opposite. Because I might be weeping. You don't know that. You don't know that. For those of you who are here, did you know I really struggled with suffering when my mom's leg was amputated? No, because I wasn't practicing what I'm preaching. We must share our deepest hurt. And this starts with being present at our meetings on Sunday. Not just in the morning, but also in the evening. Because the more we spend time together, the more we're comfortable with one another. It also means make an effort to be present at midweek meetings if you've got time. For those of you who are free during lunchtime on Wednesdays to come and pray together and share. But Rob has really been encouraging us to unburden our, our, our issues and to cry together. Well, we haven't cried yet, brother, but I think that's coming, right? So we pray, right? There's been one or two signs. Uh, 
But also in the evenings as we sit under the word, evening is important actually when we meet on Wednesday because we've got to share with one another over the word. And we build relationship over the word of God and prayer. And so as we meet at midweek, as we study prayer, Frederick will be taking us through Philippians in April and May, and as that later begins to encourage us, we can pray prayerfully with one another, pray together and share our deepest pains. But also it means being committed to being intentional about discipling, being in a discipling relationship with one another. I think the vision for the church, my longing is that every single person in this church will be in a one-to-one relationship. Every single person. Knowing one person one on one, not each person knowing one on one, you know what I mean. At least paired up with somebody that they pray with, they can unburden with. Because as you do that, you are beginning to share um, the, the deepest hurts. But of course, it also means inviting each other, right, into our homes, creating safe spaces to minister mercy to each other. Because you can't weep for people you don't know, it's obvious. You have to know people to weep with them. And that requires you to open up your homes. It requires you to make time for people. So, all people of God suffer. We need to move on quickly. What does that matter? Well, it matters because our suffering really hurts. That's the second truth. So all of that is very gloomy, right? Is there any good news? Yes, there's good news in this psalm. And that is our third truth. The good news is we suffer for God, not as a punishment. It's so important we understand that. Christian suffering is for God. It's never a punishment. You know, the first question we all ask when we are suffering is this. Why? Why? Is this some sin that I've committed that has led me into this predicament? That's the first question we ask. And I think this is a thought process these people are going through. Did you notice that? In verse 17 to 21. <clears throat> Very instructive. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been forced to your covenant, they say. Look at verse 18. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. In effect, what they're saying is, have we broken the covenant or strayed from God? Well, the answer is no. They're wondering, why are we suffering? These people have been faithful to God, and yet they are suffering. We should take that at first value. Don't doubt them. Some people come to this psalm and say, oh, no, they can't be right. Well, this is the living word of God, and they're not qualified. This particular group of people are going through what you may call innocent suffering. And I think this through this teaching is a very important lesson. A very important lesson there in verse 22, isn't it? Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. Did you see that? Verse 22. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. They are learning that God's people always suffer for God rather than as wrathful punishment for sin. Suffering for us who are in Christ is ultimately for God's glory. And I think this is a very important lesson for you to learn. 
Sometimes suffering is caused by specific sins we commit. That's true. If we steal, if you steal, you go to prison, Christian or non-Christian. Here's an interesting thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, even when you suffer because of a particular sin you have committed, your suffering is still for God and under his control. That's the point. God is allowing you to suffer not as a punishment, because God never punishes his children. Rather, what God does is that he positively uses, he does formative discipline, we might say. It's corrective even, but it's for, for, for his glory. It is for our benefit. And isn't that what Romans 8 verse 28 says? For we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, even the correction that God has brought on because of our sin, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so in the end, suffering by follow Jesus is always for God. I like to think of suffering as a complex motion picture, a movie, right? You know, the way it is, is like this. When you're making a movie, if you've ever been to a movie scene or you've seen it on television, people are making a movie, right? It looks chaotic. There are different scenes here. Uh, there are things being done there. They're all being done as text, aren't they? You can't really be sure how, how parts fit in. It's all being done independently. When they're doing a lot of the rings, some parts were done in the UK, some were done in Australia, right? Different movie texts, right? And then they're all brought together by the director. The director knows how each fit in. They're brought together and they make a wonderful movie. And they're like, wow. We thought they just filmed at the beginning and it went like that. No, it didn't go like that. Different parts. Sometimes the end part is filmed first, that kind of thing, right? Well, suffering is like that in our lives. When we look at it in isolation, it doesn't make sense to us. We are like surveying a wreckage. What's going on? This suffering here, that suffering there. But God is the movie director. He's putting together this grand movie. And this movie has victory, defeats, and everything, but it's all making a perfect story. That's how suffering works in your life. It's, it's, it's like a, it's different snapshots that have been brought together to make a beautiful picture that God understands. And in eternity, you look back, you're like, wow, I see why it was nasty to me. Right? You are doing this. And you'll be like, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and thanks, for you created all things, and by your hand they were made. You praise God for that. And I think God's people here, this is the beautiful truth that they have discovered, isn't it, in verse 22? They don't understand their suffering, but they believe in verse 22. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. It is for his sake, you see. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. They're saying to God, we are suffering on your behalf, for your glory. And I think this morning, let this truth warm our hearts. If you are suffering this morning, God is glorified in your suffering in some strange way. You see, to the believer, our suffering is never a tragedy. Our suffering in life or death is always in service to God's kingdom. Even in our brokenness and sinfulness. Because all suffering for us is for God. This is the answer to the perennial question we ask. Why does God allow suffering? The simple answer this psalm is, it is for his glory. This side of eternity, we won't understand it. On the other side of eternity... I think we'll see a little more clear. I'm not saying we'll have perfect understanding like God has, but we will see and we'll bow down in worship that God has been doing a good work in our lives, even though we've suffered 
so much. And I think in eternity, none of us are going to tell God, I wish you had changed that bit. Because we'll be so blown away at what God accomplished in our lives through his suffering. Our suffering in life or death is always in service to God's kingdom, even in our brokenness and our sinfulness, because all suffering for us is for God. So whatever you're suffering this morning, whatever you're experiencing, the suffering is not about you, it's about fulfilling the, prof- the, 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 the purposes of God. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. Think about our wonderful NHS surgeons, right? Think about them. I want you to imagine a wonderful NHS surgeon, right? As she prepares to go into surgery, right? As she's preparing to go there, she, she knows in one sense she's about to do some harm to the patient. She's going to have to cut open his body and delve into his body with surgical tools. Her patient is going to bleed, and if there's no anesthetic, the patient will be screaming in pain, and we even want the whole thing to be stopped if there's no anesthetic. Thank God for anesthetic, right? But think about that. It sounds evil what she's about to do to the patient. But our NHS surgeon rightly believes that she's following the (laughs) Hippocratic oath, right? No, hypocritical. Hippocratic oath to do no harm, isn't it? She believes that harm in this case is not harm when it does good. And so she presses on and she does the operation. Well, this is what the psalm is saying to us. Yes, all people of God suffer. And yes, our suffering really hurts. But we need to look at who's holding the knife, the psalm is telling us. Right? That knife is being held by your father. And he's inflicting pain in your life, not to do harm, but to do you good. Our father is not against you. There is beauty in the ugliness of your suffering because God has chosen you as his treasured instrument to radiate his bright glory while it hurts. And the good news is that not only is your suffering really for God, your suffering can never take away your love. Can never take you can never take you away from the love of Jesus, I meant to say. Because as we read Romans 8, it goes on, doesn't it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, dangerous word. And then it's written, a quote from this psalm, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all day long. Verse 36 of Romans 8. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he concludes this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then, of course, that brings us to the final question, doesn't it? We know we suffer for God. We know that our suffering for God is not a punishment. It is God doing his work. So then, how should we respond? Well, the answer is that final point in your outline. We must trust the love of God. If we believe God is at work, we must trust his love. And that's what these people do, isn't it? 
The people of God here are sure that God is the answer to their problem. So what do they do? Well, they fire, first of all, more questions. Look at verse 23 to 25. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Did you pick up those questions? Just firing at God. But just when we think they have given up, they remind us that they are holding on to one thing. You know what about suffering? How we respond to suffering depends on what we bring into it. You've got to remember that. How we respond to suffering while we're in suffering depends what we bring into it. And what they brought into it is that they brought the love of God into it. They vented this period of struggle believing in the love of God and therefore they proclaim it in verse 26. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. They're saying we have nothing going for us except your love. And they know this love because they have experienced it. Remember what we talked about at the beginning? They have experienced the love of God in verse 3 there. And, and they know that this love of God is hated. This is a steadfast love of God. It's a love that never gives up. It's a love that never fails. Uh, they know that God loves them with a love that never disappoints. And they've entered this suffering believing that. And they're clinging on to this love of God. And you know, the wonderful news of the Bible is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have even better reasons to trust in the steadfast and failing love of God. The unfailing love of God to you is fully demonstrated in Jesus Christ. You know, when you think about this entire psalm, by the way, this entire psalm is a foreshadow of our Lord Jesus Christ. I really believe that. It is pointing us to his life. And when you read this psalm now with Jesus in mind, you'll be blown away. Just read, that, read, read the psalm with Jesus in mind because you see so many parallels in this psalm with the life of Jesus. Because in the end, only Jesus can say, I have suffered innocently. You know, God the Father delighted in his eternal son. And yet our Lord Jesus comes into this world and is rejected, is abused, and all without doing any wrong, as the psalmist says. And the Bible says it was the will of God to Christ Jesus. And on the cross we see our Lord Jesus crying out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Very much like 23 to 25, isn't it? You know, Augustine of Hippo, the African church father, said this, God had one son on earth without sin, but never a son without suffering. And thank God for the suffering of Christ. Because in his death, Jesus takes on himself all our fears, all our pain, all our disgrace, all our shame, and nails them to the cross. So now we who are wounded can face suffering with assured confidence in the proven love of our wounded Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his resurrection, Jesus takes away our despair and worries about the future and replaces them with genuine and unshakable hope. We have hope, beloved, that this God who loves us in Jesus and has given us new life in Jesus is able to intervene in the worst of suffering in the year now. But not only that, God will lovingly preserve us through this life with all his challenges by his spirit and bring us safely to his glorious kingdom. And so as I come to an end, the important encouragement of Psalm 44 
is that if you are a follower of Christ, you, you should keep trusting the love of God that never fails. As I come to an end, you know actually I haven't finished, but I will end here. Perhaps in the future, I might complete the, the message. Let's come before God in prayer.